Our text for this morning's message will be found in Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. And as you're turning there, we're finally back to Romans. You know, I, I thought about continuing to preach to address some of the things going on and trying to, um, I guess, be relevant in some way uh, to what we're facing. But what I find as I've studied uh, for this, this morning's message is what we're going to talk about is the most relevant thing having to do with our relationship with God, because if that's not right, everything else is off. So we're going to jump back in here this morning. The last time I preached from this book was in March, March 1st, actually, so it's been just about six months. And this message I'm going to preach this morning has been complete since then. In fact, if I'm, if I'm honest, this message has been rolling around in my mind for probably at least a year or so um, and as I've said many times, when it comes to Romans chapter 9, there's few passages more disputed or more distorted or more avoided. So what I'd like to do with the Spirit's help this morning is take a look and see what God is saying, because it's something we've forgotten, something we need to be reminded of, especially in our day and age. So if you turn your attention to Romans chapter 9, we're going to read the whole chapter. Our text will be verse 19 through verse 33. But just to get the feeling and get us back in the flow, we're going to start in verse 1. So Romans chapter 9, Paul here is writing to the church at Rome. In chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says, I say the truth in Christ, and I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. To whom pertaineth the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither, because they are the seed of Abraham, are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called, that is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah had also conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children not being yet born, neither having done good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardeneth. Thou wilt say unto me then, Why did he yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? Nay, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that form it, formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the power, excuse me, hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and the other to dishonor? 
And what if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that He might make known the riches of His glory and the vessels of mercy, which He had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom He hath called, not of the Jews only, but of the Gentiles. As He saith in Hosea, <clears throat> I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which is not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as, I, as Isaiah said before, Except the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like Gomorrah. Verse 30. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Let's bow our heads. Father, we praise you and we thank you for this day and all that you've given us, and we ask for your help as we come to this time of preaching for this passage, Lord. I seek you remove the distractions from our minds. Help us to have attentive ears and open hearts as you take your word by your spirit and teach us this morning and change us and Draw us, and whatever need there may be, Lord, I ask that you do the work that only you can do as we humble ourselves before you, as we follow you in faith. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So as we jump back into our study, especially into this chapter and this passage, there's much I could say, but it, it would pretty much be a repreach. Uh, to try to lay again some of these foundations. This has been called the hardest passage in the Bible. And like I said before, there are so many different views and so many different uh, angles on it. And as we come to this so-called hardy, uh, hardest passage, I want you to understand that Paul here is, is addressing a very basic core truth. And that's where I want to focus on this morning. What truth is Paul getting at? Be very careful about coming to Scripture with preconceived ideas. Like this passage. And coming to it and saying, oh, this is Calvinist. Because chances are most of us do that in our minds. Or don't make it say something because somebody else told you that it says it. Let the Bible speak. And let the Bible speak on the basis of what the Bible has already said. Because many people will come to this passage and they will take some admittedly difficult language and they'll come to a conclusion, namely from verse 18. Therefore God has mercy on whom He will have mercy and who God wants to, He hardens. And what they will say is, well, God saves who He wants and the rest He sends to hell. Eternity is predestined for you by God. So these examples he's given, like Ishmael and Esau and Pharaoh, they never had a chance. God alone elects who he will save or who he will not. Is that the case 
Is that what the Bible says from one or two verses that maybe it's hard for us to understand or maybe we've heard interpreted a certain way? Because if that is the case, you're going to have to go back through the Bible and redefine some terms. Like, whosoever in John 3.16, whosoever believeth on Him will have eternal life. Or passages like, God wants all men to be saved. God is willing that none should perish. Is that what's going on? That these couple verses make us have to reinterpret Scripture? Or is there something else? So what's up with these verses? Well, hopefully we will define that this morning. So let's get back into the flow. Let's kind of catch up just real quick. What's the subject here? Is is the subject salvation and God's election in salvation? No. No. The subject is Israel. Paul is telling about how Israel fell away. He's written eight wonderful chapters on on creation and sin and salvation and baptism and the Holy Spirit's relationship with the church and the church member and and the power that works in our lives. God has, well, God and Paul has written eight wonderful chapters on that. When it comes to chapter nine, Paul hits the pause button. He says, well, what happened to Israel? He's going to answer that question because Israel rejected Christ and they fell away. Well, how how did that happen? He's going to explain. And he he starts out in chapter 9 by saying he wants Israel to believe. He wants Israel to be restored because they missed it. How did they miss it? They didn't follow in faith. This message is going to be a reminder, and the focus of this message this morning is that we must follow God in faith. Because if we don't, we can miss it all. Let me quickly remind you of the examples that he's given. He says, Ishmael was not the child of promise. Isaac was, right? Ishmael was actually a work of the flesh when Abraham kind of doubted, and and so him and Sarah went about their own way to have their own heir. And there's a point where Abraham, he's almost 100 years old, and Isaac hasn't come yet. He's, he tells God, well, what about my other son? Just let him be the promise. And God says, no, no, no. In Isaac, your seed will be called the one that I'm going to work. The one that's impossible to humans. The one that only I can do. That's going to be the child of promise. Esau was the firstborn, but he sold out to the flesh, didn't he? He had all the promises. He he stood to inherit the birthright, but what happens? He gets a little hungry and he sells it all. In fact, he doesn't think about it again until the time comes for him to receive the blessing. Esau Esau sold out and got judged for it. And Paul uses those to show we're not made right with God by heritage. If anybody here in this building could say that, it's me and probably Mark and his children. I'm a third-generation Baptist. My son is a fourth-generation Baptist. If anybody could stand here and say, you know what, I've been born, what's that that phrase? Baptist born and Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. I've, I've heard that float around sometimes. If anybody here could say that, it's me. But you know what? Just because I come from a family that is faithful to God, that doesn't mean diddly squat when it comes to my eternity. I'm not made righteous or holy just because of who I am, no. The children of promise are not, are, are not physical children. They're children of faith. 
We must follow God in faith. We must place our faith in Him. And that is who God's people is. It's not a physical people. It's a people of faith. You see, God accepts His own work, His own righteous work, His own righteous plan. And He does that in us when we follow in faith. God says, you want to be saved? Well, here's how. You want to walk in a relationship with me? Here's how. And we, we either accept it or reject it, don't we? We're not made right with God. We're not made holy automatically. We're not made righteous with God by our own efforts. It's God working in us. And there are, there are so many today out there who think they are right with God simply because they call themselves Christian. Or they name a name. Or they say that they love Jesus. That that automatically makes them good. When they have no personal relationship with Him. They're not following Him in faith. They show up to church watching a blue moon if and when they ever feel like it, right? And the rest of the time, their life is proved that they live to serve themselves. Their own wants, their own desires, and God doesn't even enter in in the picture. But yet, because they might name a name, they're all good. That's not how it works. Jesus was very clear. No one comes to the Father but by me, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life, John chapter 14. It's not by works. It's not by birthright. It's not by anything else but faith in Christ. No one comes to the Father but by me. And he says, if anyone wants to be my disciple... Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. There is a a sacrifice, a turning away, and a committing to Christ to follow Him. God has chosen a plan of redemption. God has chosen a, a plan of sanctification, of making us right. Verse 16, notice, it's not of him that willeth, not of him that runneth, but it's of God that showeth mercy. How are we made right with God? It's by God working in us. Okay. Some try to go around and do their own thing like Abraham did. It doesn't work. Some people reject salvation. They reject baptism. They reject the church. They reject living for Him just like Esau and Pharaoh. Just like Israel did with Christ. And God at times bears with us in our rejection. How many here were not saved the first time they heard the gospel. Anybody? That's mercy. God bore with you, didn't He? You might have heard it and said, no. Or I need to think about that, or not right now. God bears with us in our rejection, doesn't He? God has mercy sometimes. And other times... He hardens. Verse 18. Therefore he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Now what does that mean? Does that mean God makes us sin and holds us accountable, or we've already been sent to hell? No, 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 no. Easy, Turbo. Don't go down that road. What does the Bible say? God cannot be tempted with evil. James chapter 1. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. And enticed. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. We get ourselves in trouble. It's the desires and the lusts of our own heart that lead us to sin. 
We make that choice. We sin willingly. We can't blame God for that. Don't blame God for that. We sin and willfully, and the fact of the matter is there are times when God says, as was said this morning, fine, as you wish. If that's what you want, have it. Like Esau and Pharaoh and Israel. Everybody with me? That's where we're caught up here? Okay. So let's get to the text and want to address some things. Let's first notice this morning the human objection. Verse 19. Thou wilt say then unto me, because of all this, you're going to say to me, why does he yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? Listen, all of this truth is going to produce some questions in the human mind. Like, well, why does it have to be that way? Why does it have to be only Jesus? What's this deal with the church? Why can't it be my choice? And how come God has mercy on some more than He does others? Like some people He gives chance after chance. Like David. David's called a man after God's own heart. But man, that guy messed up, didn't he? Over and over and over. Not exactly the best family man. Not exactly the best husband either. But God had a lot of mercy on David, right? And it seems when we come to Esau, Esau messes up once and boom, you're out, buddy. How come he does that? How come some people he hardens and others he has mercy? The answer, because he's God. Period. That's it. He's God. He can do what he wants. He owes us nothing. Do not forget, Esau had multiple chances, didn't he? I don't think that was the first time that Jacob asked for the birthright. Pharaoh had like 10 chances, 10 plagues. Israel had multiple chances. No, what happened is they hardened their own heart to God's call, to God's purpose, to God's plan. And you know what God said? Fine, have it. You don't play around with God. You don't don't mess around with Him as if you call the shots. That is the human mind today. I'm going to tell God what to do. You don't call the shots. As if you can tell Him, I'll get right when I'm good and ready to get right. And I'll go along with whatever I choose out of this whenever I choose. I make the rules. You bend to my rules. And it's as if your perception and your feelings on the truth are ultimate as if you are God. You're not. And to knowingly reject God's truth, to willfully and knowingly sin against what God says, it should be a big deal to us. I think that's part of the problem. Sin's not a big deal. It's like, meh, whatever. You know what's happened? We go around now expecting mercy. Well, if I sin, I can just ask forgiveness and it's all good. (laughs) Don't presume on the mercy of God. He has mercy on whom He will have mercy, and some He hardens. That should cause us to fear. That should cause us to humble ourselves. We don't deserve mercy. We deserve judgment, don't we? 
even after we have been saved, even if we've been walking as His servant for years, the sin in my life still dictates I don't deserve mercy. I deserve judgment. But God has mercy, doesn't He? Over and over and over again with us, at least in my own life, He's had so much mercy. But you know what? There's times He also judges. And that's the part our humanity hates, right? We love the mercy of God. We love the love of God. And we hate the justice and wrath of God. You've heard it, right? Don't judge me. Only God can judge me. <laughs> Better be careful with that. You best, be, you best be careful saying that phrase. Because He just might judge and it might be harsh. So we object, right? Verse 19, well, why did he yet find fault? Who has resisted his will? Well, then, if God is going to judge me because of one little sin, or God is going to harden my heart because of one or two wrong choices, then how can he blame me? After all, didn't he harden my heart? I thought he knew my heart. He did. He did. And you lied when you said it was for God. How can, he, how can He harden my heart just because of one sin or just because I didn't follow His way? Who else has a chance? That's not fair. I don't like that. God cut off Israel because of one little choice. Sure, it was the rejection of Christ, but it's not cool, man. They love God. Why can't God just accept that they love Him and go another way and... God doesn't honor or accept every little thing that I slap His name on. One way for salvation? One way for service? One way to live for Him? I don't like that. And by the way, isn't that the mindset of the day? And that's why you've got 31 flavors of Christianity and this and that out there. The human objection to the truth of God is that we don't like God's plan. We don't like the exclusivity of it. We don't like judgment for rejection. It's not fair. It doesn't sit well with you. Okay. How do I answer that? Let's notice the second thing this morning is the humbling answer. And let me me try to reply with as loving a tone as I can. I don't want to offend anybody or make you feel bad. I'll try to use the words of Paul. Who do you think you are? Seriously, who do you think you are? You. You will question God. You are the one to define His Word for Him. You you are the one to define salvation. Jesus is not the only way because you think He's not the only way. Is that what we're saying? You'll define baptism. You'll define for him who his church is or is not and how important she is or is not. You are the one out of all of humanity to finally have it up on him that he was doing it wrong the whole time before. That you have the insight and you can tell him when to judge or when not to judge. You can tell him where to stand and wait for you. You can tell him that it's your truth that is ultimate. Your thoughts and feelings that are ultimate. And that he ought to bow to and honor those. You would question God. To which my answer and Paul's answer is nope. No, you don't. And if you doubt me, look at verse 20. 
Nay, O man. No, 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 O man. Who art thou that repliest against God? You see that? Or who are you to dispute with God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why have you made me this way? Who do we think we are? We're dust. Sinful dust at that. (laughs) And I don't mean to sound harsh or condescending, but we need a wake-up call today. So many people walk around telling God what to do. Rejecting Him because they don't like His Word. They don't feel like they should follow His Word and a hundred other choices. We need a wake-up call. We are not God. God is God. We are created beings. We are sinners by our own fallen nature. We are hopeless and hell-bound if not for the grace and mercy of God as He has reached down to us to save us. We are in no place to question Him. God can do as He pleases, and us, we are to follow Him in faith. We are to humble ourselves in our obedience to His commands and the good plan that He has set forth. Do you believe this morning that God has a good plan for us? Salvation is good, isn't it? The church is good. Coming glory is good for us. Better than anything we can ever come up with for ourselves. And we are to humble ourselves and follow that in faith. God has chosen, God has elected a purpose for your life, for my life. The New Testament makes it very clear. We are to be saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That is the first thing we need to know. We are sinners, we need to be saved. Nothing else matters until we come to know Him as personal Savior. You can go to church a hundred times a week. It's not going to matter for your eternity until you know Christ as Savior. We are to be saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Then we are to follow. We're to be baptized into a local New Testament church. And that means it's one who believes and practices what the New Testament says. What do we do here? We do what this says, right? Nothing more and nothing less. What does the Bible say? That's what leads us and guides us. We're a local body of baptized believers and we're, we're committed to each other. We're committed to Christ first and foremost, right? He's the head. I'm not the head. He's the head. But we're also committed together to, to help one another and pray for one another and love one another and take communion together. And yeah, sometimes there's church discipline too, but we're all here to, to help each other as we are going on this journey of life, reaching out to the world around us with the gospel, fulfilling the Great Commission, making disciples, baptizing, teaching, and doing that over and over so that churches plant churches and we're living obedient to Christ, supporting each other until we see Him in glory. That's, That's the plan boiled down. And either we accept that or we reject it. No, we don't question We don't amend it or tweak it. This is what God says. So the question is, are you following that in faith? Or will we question, will we reject, and run the risk of facing judgment? A pastor I had for most of my life said this, we have to fall upon the mercy of God when the mercy of God is here. 
not harden your heart. Now Paul's going to give another response, and I think it's one that's helped. Look at verse 21. He says, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another to dishonor? Now people run crazy with this, like saying, Oh, he's the potter, we're the clay. See, he made some to disbelief and he made some to be righteous. No, 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 no. He's quoting Scripture. And here's a suggestion. When you see something in the Bible that you might not understand, don't run to some commentary or your favorite blog or favorite preacher. Try reading the Bible because it will explain so many things. So what I want you to do is, is do that with me. Keep your finger here and go to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. Let's see what... Paul is is getting at here when he brings this scripture in. Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, excuse me, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. So many people stop there. Keep reading. At what instance I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up and to pull down and to destroy it? If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I had thought to do to them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it? If it do evil in my sight that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I had said I would benefit them. Now therefore go to and speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return ye now every one from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. Verse 12. And they said, There is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices and we will every one do the imagination of his evil heart. Now that doesn't sound like your eternity is already predetermined, doesn't it? It sounds like God is working a work. And if we're doing evil, He wants us to repent and to follow in faith. And that if we turn away from Him willingly, we can face some judgment. What happens at the end? He says, hey, go tell Israel, you guys need to repent because judgment's coming. And what do they say? Nope, we're going to do our own thing. And so judgment comes. Paul is using that to illustrate, hey, don't turn away, follow Him in faith. Don't question Him. Don't dispute against Him. God has laid out the plan. We ought to follow and humble ourselves to it in faith. Some don't, do they? We see the examples here listed in Romans. If you go back there. We have other examples recorded for us in Scripture. And we know people in our own lives. And they might reject God outright. They don't even want to hear about God. Or maybe they've they've known better and they've walked away after time. I don't know about you, but I've seen some hearts harden. Verse 22. It says, what if God willing to show His wrath? You know, sometimes He does that. 
And it's not necessarily like thunderbolts coming out of the sky and bad things happening. You know wrath can be abandonment? Just like in Romans chapter 1. Fine, here you go. God gave them over to all these different things. What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy which He afore prepared unto glory? Okay, so who are these vessels? Who are the ones that are fitted for destruction? Well, that's the world, isn't it? That's the world and that's the faithless. Those who turn back. Which was us. Wasn't it? At one time, we were vessels of destruction. But God saved us. And God set us on the right path. Who are these ones that are fitted to glory? His people. Those who follow Him in faith and follow His plan. And by the way, that plan, that that purpose is open to all the world. God wants all men to be saved, to come to knowledge of the truth. We're told to make disciples of all nations. God will build His church. God will glorify His people. And He calls you to be a part of it. And He calls me. Enduring with our sin. Enduring with the world's filth and arrogance. You look outside and all that's going on all the hatred, all the sin. Do you know God is bearing with that so that they might hear the gospel? God bears with a lot, doesn't He? God endures with a lot. And all the while, He wants all to be saved. He tells us to go make disciples of all nations so that the riches of His glory might be seen to those who humble themselves before His mercy. So the question is, will you do that or will you reject? I cannot say who God will harden. I cannot say how many chances He will give. I cannot say if those who have left and rejected are beyond repentance. That's up to Him. All I can say is don't make that same mistake and follow Him in faith. Let's look at these next verses. In verse 24, he says, Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but of the Gentiles. He says in Hosea, I will call them my people which are not my people, and her beloved which is not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also cries concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And Isaiah said before, except the Lord of the Sabbath has left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and made like unto Gomorrah. (laughs) God knew Israel would reject. He knew the choice that they would make and he told them, you guys are going to turn away and it's going to pass to another people. Time and time again, he told them, But they didn't listen, did they? And even in that, he left a remnant. You know what that tells me today? We ought to listen when the Bible speaks. We ought to listen to verses like this. So the last point for this morning. We've seen the human objection. We've seen the humbling answer. What I'd like you to consider lastly is the hardest passage made simple. 
for all the discussion and all the debates about what this chapter may or may not mean, and though it sounds kind of difficult, in reality, I think it's pretty simple. And Paul tells us here, beginning in verse 30. What shall we say then? Okay, what are we going to say to all that? The Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, they have attained to righteousness. How? The righteousness which is of faith. Verse 31, but Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, they tried to live this way and tried to do it their own way. They have not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. They stumbled at that stumbling stone. He's speaking about Christ. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. How did Israel miss out? They didn't follow in faith. It's as simple as that. They didn't follow in faith. They had their own system going. They thought that they were good. Just like they liked it. But when Jesus came on the scene and they were confronted with the truth by Jesus Himself, they stumbled. Because, and here's the root issue, He wasn't the Jesus they wanted. He didn't fit their idea. They didn't like Him, His goal, His style, His message. So they rejected Him and said, You know what? We're going to keep doing it our way. Thank you very much. And they missed it all. They fell. And the Gentiles, the rest of the world, they saw Christ and they followed by faith. So the question is, this morning, are you going to miss out? Because what you hear is not the Jesus you want? Well, you can go to some building somewhere and find the Jesus you want. The one who never talks about hell or the one who is all cotton candy and unicorns and it's all good. The one who calls you to do nothing but wants to pour into your bank accounts his blessings. You can find a Jesus like that. You're not going to find him here. Sorry. (laughs) Will you miss because it's not your style or doesn't fit your idea? Be careful. Don't stumble at Christ. Don't stumble at his people, his church. Don't stumble at sanctified living, living for him. Listen. I've been in church a long time, 30 years now. I was saved 30 years ago. I was baptized the next Sunday, and by the grace of God, I've been living for Him the best I can ever since. That's 30 years of watching people. Twelve of those years have been in the capacity of preaching, and the last almost five or so of pastoring. I've seen a lot of people walk away. I've seen people sit here or in the other building or even in a church somewhere as I was preaching. They hated the message of sin, the message of hell, and the message of the gospel. There was anger in their face. As I would talk about the wrath of God and as sin was defined and called out, they called it judgmental. That God would never send anyone to hell. God loves everyone and He accepts everyone, so I'm fine. I don't need to be told I'm a sinner. And they walked away. I've seen some who knew Jesus as Savior. Listen, let me let me just make it clear. You don't have to go to church to be saved. 
Baptism doesn't save you. That's a point in time when you bow in faith and you ask Him to save you, period. And I've, se- I've seen some people who, who knew Him as Savior, but they just wouldn't give their life to Him. Baptism in the church, that didn't fit their bill. Lone Ranger Christians. They'll go to church whenever and wherever suited them, and we just happened to be way too old school. We didn't have a band or the lights. I got lights, they just don't work. <laughs> we didn't have the right kind, you know, and stained glass windows and on and on. I've heard it all. I've heard it all. And they walked away. Some, some knew better, like Esau. I can remember back to being a young teen. I remember when we used to have youth rallies and state meetings. And those would number in the hundreds. Buildings packed. I'm talking about the folding chair down the aisles and standing room only. And the rafters would ring with singing. And the preaching would come and the altars would be full. But I watched a lot walk away. Because he wasn't the Jesus they wanted. They had hard hearts. Or there was sin that wasn't addressed. And many sold out like Esau. I want this more than I want God. Like Demas, as Paul says, Demas hath left me, having loved the present world more. In all cases, it wasn't the Jesus that they wanted, so they chose to reject. Now some I have seen come back. Praise God for His mercy, right? God endured and brought them back by His mercy. In all three cases, I've seen people that rejected the Gospel bow down and give their heart to Jesus. And ask Him to be Savior. I've seen people come back and commit their lives... And I've seen some come back, many come back and be restored. But some I've seen hardened. I don't want to see that for any of you. So I'm pleading with you this morning not to reject, but to follow in faith. Not to stumble at the truth, but to humble yourself under it. My, my prayer is that you would do so today. I don't know the hearts of those who are here. I don't know what you may be strongly struggling with. And listen, we always have to be on guard. We talked about that last week. To guard our hearts, right? I've been in church a long time. I'm a pastor. I can fall. I can make some wrong choices to where even my heart can be hardened. So I need to be careful. We all need to be careful. I don't, I don't know how the Lord may be using this. I don't know what you may be dealing with. Maybe today you need to be saved. Listen, salvation is not just some agreement with Scripture or some head knowledge of the truth. It's not liking the idea of God or even believing that God or Jesus exists. It's much more than that. It's faith in Christ. It's knowing Him personally. 
It's having a, a radical change that happened in your life. Jesus uses the very important term when he talks to Nicodemus. He says, ye must be born again. There is a change that must happen. Ephesians chapter 2 says we are dead in sins, dead in trespasses. And we need to be born again. We need to be made alive. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that any man who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. All things have become new. Jesus says, if you believe in me, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he be dead, yet shall he live. I think he's talking about spiritually. There's something that happens. It's not a program. It's not a process. It's an experience. A moment in time where you realize you're a sinner. And you are facing God's wrath. You are facing eternity in hell because you are a sinner. There is judgment for our sins. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all stand guilty for our own sins before the holy God of heaven. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. But Jesus of Nazareth, the very Son of God, God in the flesh, came to this earth 2,000 years ago to die for sinners. Romans chapter 5 says that God shows His love to us that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came to give His life, His sinless life, in your place, in my place. He took upon Himself all of your sins. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that. 1 Peter says that. He bore our sins in His own body. He took on all of your sin and gave in place His precious sinless blood. That blood that was shed at the cross is the atonement for all of your sins. You cannot save yourself. Christ died to save you. He paid the debt that you cannot pay. He bore the wrath of God for you. And He has given His life so that you might be saved. And risen again to prove He is Savior and He is Lord. Oh, He will save you this morning if you don't know Him. All those things that you've done in the past, all the things that you've been ashamed of, the things in your life that you think are unredeemable and make you the worst sinner. Let me tell you what the worst sinner on the face of the earth said. His name was Paul. And he said, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. I'm the worst. You know what he says? He did this in me to show a pattern for all who will believe. If God can save the worst sinner, He can save you. He'll take all of your sin away. He'll take away that eternity of judgment in hell and He will give you forgiveness, eternal life in heaven if you will simply believe that He died for you. That's all that it takes. If you will simply place your faith in Him to turn to Him alone and ask Him to save you. Do you have that moment in your life? I can look back to mine some 30 years ago. It was after church on a Sunday evening. I was an 8-year-old boy under conviction knowing that I was a sinner, that I stood in judgment before Him. And you know what? The preacher preached and it dealt with my heart for a couple weeks. And it was that Sunday night I went home and I bowed at the foot of my parents' bed and I said a very simple prayer in faith. Lord, save me. 
And that was it. At that moment, that burden was lifted. All of my sins were gone. And I knew at that very moment, if I died in the next second, I would open them in the presence of Jesus. I know that forever I am saved because of Christ, not me, but because I placed my faith in Him all those years ago. Do you have that moment you can look back to? That moment I was born again. I was saved. You know, if you don't have that in your life, you can have that this morning. If you would simply bow before Him and ask Him to save you. Maybe you need to be baptized and join up with His church and make a public declaration. Say, hey, I'm identifying with Christ now and I'm not going to live life for myself anymore. I'm going to live my life for Him as part of this local body here. One that teaches and practices the truth. We don't save anybody. Christ saves, but this sanctifies us, don't we? Doesn't it? Puts us in the right place and helps us to live right. Would you come join our family here? As we're committed to each other and to help each other and pray for each other and love each other as we serve Christ? Or maybe you find yourself this morning in a place where some things are starting to slip and other desires are pulling at your heart and you feel your first love fading. And you start finding yourself redefining things when it comes to God. We can do that, don't we? Would you lay all that down and recommit this morning? Whatever the need may be, whatever the Lord may be leading in your heart, my prayer is that you don't reject it. Don't harden your heart against it. He has mercy on whom He will have mercy, and His mercy is deep, and His mercy is wide, isn't it? But there are times He hardens. I can't do any of this for you, and God is not going to force it. All I can say is don't reject. No, Follow Him in faith. And throw yourself on the mercy of God while He offers it. And don't reject lest He honor your hard heart. So the question this morning is, what will it be? Will you follow? Or will you question? Will you stumble and miss? I pray you will follow. Let's bow our heads. Father, I ask you to use this message. Use the words that have been spoken, Lord. Help us in our unbelief. Help us in our hardness of heart at times to not reject, Lord, but to to follow you in faith as we humble ourselves before you, Lord. You are so good and you are so loving. You have been so merciful and gracious to us, Lord. I pray that we would have open, tender hearts to Your will for us, Lord. If there's any here that needs to be saved, they don't know You as Savior, Lord, that You would draw them just now as we come to a time of invitation, that they would turn to You and place their faith in You and You alone, Lord. To be in here that haven't committed their lives to to serving You and in Your body and part of Your people, Lord, that You would draw them there, that they might put their life in the right place and place of support and a place of walking close with you, Lord. If there's some of us who might have hearts that are drawn away, Lord, and 
beginning to become hard, Lord, we pray for your mercy. I pray for mercy on my own heart, Lord. Don't let me harden my own heart, but if there's any here that might be getting drawn away or we feel hardness or bitterness in our hearts, Lord, please cleanse us of that and help us to renew again our faith in you. However you see fit, Lord, use this message. Draw by your Spirit and do the work in us that only you can do, Lord. Help us to simply follow you in faith. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.